This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 145, Avoiding Entrepreneurial Poverty. Have you been hustling and grinding to grow your business but find yourself depleted or not quite as happy as you thought you'd be? If so, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Rachel Cook. Rachel is on a mission to end the entrepreneurial poverty of time, energy, and money for women business owners. She's an MBA-trained business growth strategist, the founder of the CEO Collective, the host of the Promote Yourself to CEO podcast, and a best-selling author. Over the last 16 years, she has helped thousands of female entrepreneurs design predictably profitable businesses without the hustle and the burnout that doing all the things inevitably accomplishes. Rachel is a sought-after speaker on entrepreneurship, marketing, and productivity, and has been featured by Forbes Magazine, Business Insider, Entrepreneur Magazine, and The Washington Post. Her real passion, though, is supporting purpose-driven women as they implement the strategy, systems, and support to uncomplicate their business so they not only do what makes a difference, but live a life they truly love. I would really love to read your takeaways on today's episode. So as you listen, take a screenshot of the episode and share one of your takeaways with me on Instagram, tagging at on and off your mat podcast. I will, of course, reshare you, but everybody will be able to read your takeaways and we can go deeper into the content of each episode. We can learn together as a community. All right, let's get to today's episode with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hey, how are you today? I'm so well. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to dig into this conversation. It's going to be a good one. Me too. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to get us started? People that don't know you that are listening. Yeah. So I will try to give the condensed version though. It's 15 years into this entrepreneurial journey. So it has been a long and winding road, but I think your audience will really love this because my business started as the Yogipreneur. In fact, that's still my LLC is the Yogipreneur LLC. And I started it in 2008 because I came straight from business school, finished my MBA and was recruited into traditional consulting, which proceeded to burn me out. Mm -hmm. And like every person who burns out in that intense environment, I mean, 85, 90, 100 hour weeks were not (sighs) unusual. I found myself burned out, completely depleted found out I had adrenal fatigue, started having panic attacks and other problems like that. So I did what anybody does. I went to my yoga class and cried on my yoga mat for a solid three months. I took a medical leave of absence and decided I needed to figure out why was I suddenly struggling so much because I am the typical high achieving, go get them, did all the things right, got all the degrees, had the fancy job, had the fancy car, all the things before I was 30. And I was supposed to be happy, but I really wasn't. I was miserable from that grind. And so after three months of me crying on my yoga mat every single day, my teacher, who seriously was just like an angel in disguise, said to me, Rachel, I know you don't really want to go back to that environment. Do you think you could help me with my yoga studio? And it was this light bulb moment for me because I was like, oh my gosh, here's this amazing yoga teacher. She has this gorgeous yoga studio, downtown Richmond, Virginia, amazing students who love this place, but she was kind of struggling. Her business was struggling and she wasn't sure how to turn things around. So fast forward, 
She gave me the name for the initial brand of my business, the Yogipreneur. She started referring me to a bunch of, cause you know how yoga teachers are. They know other yoga teachers who know other mm-hmm. yoga studio owners. Mm-hmm. It kind of organically grew for the first couple of years. When I launched that business, I was one of only like five people who was specifically saying they were working with yoga business owners. And over the years, as it happens, I mean, I just kept following where people were asking for my help and it turned out a lot of yoga teachers are also holistic healthcare practitioners or doulas or life coaches or, or, or. Mm-hmm. And so it was all of those yoga teacher and something else that just kind of continued growing my audience until I shifted away from the Yogipreneur brand into my brand now, the CEO Collective, where we work specifically with women entrepreneurs who are scaling service-based businesses. Beautiful. So if grind and money is not success, because obviously in your story, like you had those things, but you didn't feel happy. I don't know if you felt successful, but yet not happy. Like, what does it mean to be successful to you? What does that look like? Whether we are in the yoga space or in the wellness space in general and offering services as a woman entrepreneur? I love that you asked this question because I think this is a question not enough of us ask until we are unhappy. Because mm-hmm. we have accumulated all of the things we are told is what success means. Yeah, we've checked right? all the boxes and we are in that position. Like, what now? Yeah. I'm unhappy. I don't feel fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. Well, so this, for me, I spent a long time in a lot of therapy drilling down what success actually was to me. And it turned out money was just a small part of it. Money was the tool that let me get the other things that make me feel successful. So one huge part of it for me is my health and well-being. I learned the hard way that if you are not successful in your health and your well-being, your ability to take care of yourself, nothing else matters because you can't make an impact. You can't help anybody. If you don't have you, the energy. It, yeah, if you don't have the energy. And it's really hard because I have several chronic and autoimmune disorders that probably were a huge contributor to the burnout. Honestly, I was so detached from my health that it wasn't until I had that breakdown that I realized how bad some things were. But I've really learned that if if you don't clarify what that means for you, it's going to be really hard to enjoy anything else. So for me, it's not about being a certain number on the scale or a certain size in my genes. It's about how I feel in my body. Some days are harder than others because of the chronic challenges I have. But most days when I invest my time, energy, and attention into my health, I feel good in my body and I feel Mm -hmm. in touch with myself. And then I can go on to some other areas of success. So health and well-being, family and friends. I think a lot of us were raised in a generation of seeing people feel like, you know, your whole job is to get married, have kids, and then work really hard to provide for the family, but there's no real connection to the family. And I realized I didn't Mm -hmm. want that. I didn't want to be the mom who was working all these hours and never saw my kids. So for me, I really define like, what does success look like in my marriage? What does success look like with each one of my three children? So I have twins who are almost 13 and a little one who's almost 10. And it's getting really, really specific about it. It's every month taking each of my children on their own mom and me date for us to go do something together. It's making sure that we're, you know, spending quality time and defining what quality time looks like and asking myself every week, did I get quality time with each of my kids, with my husband? So I'm always looking at that. Like, how do you define success in your relationships that matter to you? Then I also look at 
I think your creativity and your spirituality is something a lot of us don't think about as a marker for success, but this is a huge part of being fulfilled, especially for women. I agree. I love, there's this book by an author named Eve Rodsky called Fair Play, which has kind of gone all over the internets recently about how women have traditionally had like the role of being the unpaid laborer and doing all of the mental load with running a household and all of those things. But her second book is the one I'm really obsessed with. She calls it your unicorn space. She says it's not enough just to take the mental load off of women or to try to create equality in, you know, our lives at home. It's Mm -hmm. also helping women to reconnect with their creativity, with their spirituality, with something bigger than them, instead of just feeling like, you know, all I do is work and parent and sleep. And I think for so many Run people, after my I, tail. yeah, I mean, I talked to so many people and like, we don't have hobbies. We work, we parent, we sleep. <laughs> that's it. And I think that's so crucially important if you want that fulfilled life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think your life and your lifestyle is another huge place to define success for yourself. So for me, I realized, you know, again, money is just a tool. It's morally neutral. It's just a tool. But I want freedom to, you know, work only 25 hours a week. I want to be able to work from those options, being able to have those choices. Exactly. Like I can work from home. I can come into my office downtown. I took my laptop and went on vacation to the beach for a couple of days, just because we were going to have a couple good days at the beach. And I think that's amazing. Having that flexibility, having the ability to decide how I'm going to run my day instead of having other people run my day. Like that's success for me being able to say, I like having a slow morning and no, I don't have a complicated morning routine. I need a solid hour of slipping my coffee with no one else around. (laughs) to get going. And that's success to me is knowing that I can have that and I don't have to conform to anyone else's. Mm. So yeah, that's how I define success. I'm always trying to look at it from a very holistic perspective of all the things that I feel like make me feel more me as a person. I'm always thinking, how can I make sure that I'm not pouring from an empty cup I'm constantly pouring into myself the things that make me thrive, the things that make me feel successful. And everyone in my life, my family, my friends, my clients, they're not getting what I'm pouring out. They're getting the overflow because Mm -hmm. I'm doing such a good job filling my own cup. So when you get into the habit of creating what you need to thrive in your life, then your business can thrive from that. Yeah. And it might sound counterintuitive because I think a lot of people feel like their business needs to thrive before they can thrive. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a recipe for burnout. I think that's Mm. how women end up burning themselves out of business within a few short years because they don't build a sustainable business that gives them the, the time and the energy and attention they need for themselves or these other areas that are important. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. So I think that's a very useful point. So people go make your definition of success. And go fill your cup. (laughs) So in contrast, I've heard you talk about entrepreneurial poverty before. So what is that in contrast? What does that look like if we're in that hustle? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Entrepreneurial poverty is something I started defining more as I really dug into what was happening in the world of entrepreneurship for women, especially because as I... I'm a numbers person. I like statistics. I like digging into the research. And I realized 
Women-owned businesses make up the majority of new businesses being started, especially um, minority women, Black women Mm. are the fastest growing demographic of businesses being started, period. And while we make up over 44% of small business, we only make up 4% of total small business revenue. So why is that in your opinion? Oh my gosh. It is the entrepreneurial (laughs) poverty of time, energy, and money. So okay. it's, it's like this cascade effect that starts to happen. So on the money side, if you look into the research that comes out about how much businesses make, women-owned businesses average less than $50,000 in actual top-line revenue. Over 75% of women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year. Only 12% make more than $100,000 a year. And I know there's always this noise online about a six-figure business, but Mm y'all only 12%, only 12% are even hitting that. And that's top-line revenue. That does not include your operating expenses. That does not include your team. That does not include your website hosting. That doesn't include your taxes or much less paying yourself. So I started looking at that and I was like, okay, only 12% are making over six figures. Only two and a half to 3% are making a million dollars. Most women-owned businesses are owner-operated, meaning they're solely working by themselves, doing it all on their own. Mm. This is a recipe for disaster. One, because if you don't make enough money in your business, you can't pay yourself much less higher team, Yeah, which leads to the other two elements of entrepreneurial poverty, which is time and energy. If you are trying to run a business 100% on your own and you don't have the resources available to get more time to buy other people's time by hiring team, then you're always going to be struggling to have any time for the other areas of your life. And you're always going to feel like you're working. And when you always feel like you're working, you no longer have energy for anything else. And all those things we talked about, all the different definition of success, how are you going to have the time to nurture those areas? You don't. Yeah, you don't. And if so you work 12-hour days on your business, you don't. Yeah. And I see this all the time. Like burnout is a epidemic at this point. And more women are starting businesses than ever before, but they're also burning out of businesses faster than ever before because it's not just the work we do in our business. It's we go home and we still have a ton of things to do there. And we have so many responsibilities. Like, yeah. Women are single-handedly holding up the world right now and we're tired. So this is when we start thinking about entrepreneurial poverty. We need to start shifting some things around and look at how can we make sure our business is designed so that we can thrive. And that includes making sure we can optimize for our definition of success and our businesses are profitable enough and sustainable enough that we aren't having to hold up the whole thing by ourselves. So making enough money to be able to have staff. Yeah. Making enough money to be able to have support is huge. One thing that I see, especially for women entrepreneurs is the fear of, well, if I stop working because I'm going on vacation or because I'm having a baby or because I got sick or I need to take care of somebody, they know that their business will stop bringing in revenue pretty quickly. Yeah, And then this is an, an indicator that your business is not sustainable. If you can't step away for your business for two to four weeks at a time mm-hmm. without your business starting to really shut down and revenue stop coming in, then you may not actually have a business. You might just be 
self-employed. <laughs> and you might just be yes. somebody who has created a job for themselves instead of a business that can run itself. Ooh, and that's I feel a, a little called out. Difference. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. I feel that. a little called out. Yeah. No, no, that's good. That's good. And I know I'm not alone. So obviously, like we need to talk about these things. That's how we're going to create shifts, right? And change for, for the best. Yeah. So what would be a tip? Like, where do we start if we want to avoid running out of energy or time and money? If you're like, we feel called out, where do we start? Yeah. One of the first things, I mean, we already talked about the definition of success. I have a whole podcast episode on my podcast about this too. So you can go to promote yourself to CEO. That's my podcast. And you can listen to that episode. But I've also created this tool called the Get Paid Calculator. And the reason I love this tool, it's absolutely free. We'll link it up in the show notes for everybody. Yep is because once you define your version of success, we can actually start to run the numbers and figure out what it's going to take to align your business to that. Because again, money is a tool. It's morally neutral. It on its own is not good or bad, but it does give you more options. Mm -hmm. So when you go through the get paid calculator, the first thing we do is look at, okay, what do you need to take care of yourself? Because if you're not taking care of your needs, then business won't be lasting very long because Everybody's got to, you know, pay their bills, save for retirement, <laughs> make sure you're taking care of things. But we also have things that we want to improve in our life. So like, where do you want to upgrade these different parts of your life? Like looking at the definition of success, where do you want to upgrade your health? Maybe you want to invest in getting better nutrition. Maybe you want to invest in a wellness um, coach, a, a wellness coach. Maybe you want to have private yoga lessons or whatever. I mean, as I started asking myself this, now I'm like a wellness junkie. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I go float once a month. I get a massage once a month. I see my chiropractor. I see my acupuncturist. I have my functional medicine doctor. I have a dietitian. Like these are all things I've upgraded over time. And of course, all of them cost money, but the result is I am thriving in that area of my life. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask yourself these things and where do you want to upgrade and account for that when you're coming up with your income number. Like if definition of success to you and your relationships mm -hmm. is taking your family on vacation, then, okay, what does that look like? What is that trip going to cost you? What's your budget? Let's add it in because then we can start reverse engineering to make sure the business can pay you what you need to live those things. Mm -hmm. And that's so really fun. Clarity. It's clarity. Absolutely. I think a lot of times we kind of get stuck in our normal, oh, like this is what everything costs right now. So I will just say, well, this is what my life costs right now. I can live off of thread water. And then they don't adjust up in their planning for their business. And so they always feel like nothing's changing because mm -hmm. nothing is changing. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. So that clarity is not only for right now, it's also projecting yourself in the future and what you want to create and experience. The fun thing about this calculator is when you get into it, you can just start plugging numbers in and see what happens and see not only what your take-home income should be, but it projects out what your business revenue goal should be. And then it breaks down a budget of how much you'll probably pay in tax and how much you'll pay yourself and how much you'll put aside for business operating expenses. And then you can even reverse engineer your offers to make sure you can hit the sales goals in order to make that happen. And for me, this is where it gets fun because you're just imagining on paper, right? You can keep tweaking it mm -hmm. and playing with it until you get to where you want to go. So once we have that clarity, 
what do we do to increase our sales or to expose ourselves or to just create more cash flow? What's the next step from there, from clarity? Yeah. Once you know all these numbers, you know your personal take home pay, you know your revenue goal, you've crunched the numbers on, you know, how many things you need to sell at what price point. Then it's all about putting in place a marketing strategy that helps you to consistently show up and get in front of potential clients and then guide them through your marketing process to convert them into paying clients. So I talk about a five-part marketing framework that converts people all the way from finding you for the very first time to being a happily paying client. And it might sound big, but I want to run through it real quick, if that's okay. Because if you can answer each of these things and take action on them on a regular basis, you will start to see more clients coming through the door, which is what we all want. Let's do it. Yeah. So the first part of the marketing strategy is attract. And this is getting in front of brand new people who don't know who you are. Okay. Never heard of you before. There's really three core areas that you can attract. There's search. So people go onto the Google and they type in yoga teacher, Richmond, Virginia, and your listing pops up on Google My Business or on Google Search or what have you. So search is one. Um, Pinterest is also a search engine, FYI. If people think it's social media, it's not, it's search. But Google's still hands down the best one. I am hearing TikTok is getting considered a search engine recently. There's some new updates coming out about that, which is interesting. But that's a huge way to get in front of people is to optimize for search, make sure people are finding you when they're typing in yoga teacher, this city, yoga teacher, this type of yoga, et cetera. The next key area is my favorite, and that's other people's audiences. Like that's literally what we're doing right now. I'm in front of your audience, Erica. Like Mm -hmm. I'm talking to your audience. So this could look like giving interviews. This could look like guest teaching for other people. If you go into someone else's studio and you teach for that studio, that's someone else's audience. You're getting in front of their community. This could be doing an email newsletter swap where you share content to someone else's newsletter and vice versa. There's so many ways you can get in front of other people's audiences. But what I love about it is it's very collaborative and co-creative, which I feel like is so aligned Mm -hmm. for the way a lot of us want to run our businesses. Especially for women. Like it's very feminist. Absolutely. Because we should be lifting each other up and shouting each other's voices out, right? Mm -hmm. I love the idea of the newsletter swap. I've actually never heard of that before. That's really cool. Oh yeah. Do a newsletter swap. Take over somebody's newsletter for the week. I had a friend who went on maternity leave and she did a whole thing. She called it her blog babysitter. This was probably like 10 years ago when blogging was a big thing. Uh But for like 12 weeks, she had a whole bunch of business BFFs who took over her blog and her newsletter and just contributed content for her while she was on maternity leave. So smart. How cool. It was like a great opportunity to get in front of someone else's audience. And it was a value for her because she didn't have to worry about writing anything. Mm-hmm. So, All right, I so we that. have attract, we have other audience. <laughs> what else? And then the other piece of attract is advertising. I do always want to give the caveat, like advertising has been around forever. It's not going to go anywhere, but it is tricky. And there's always going to be windows where you can advertise and it pays off. But right now we're not seeing that for a lot of small businesses. So proceed with caution, like be ready to spend a lot of money just to see if it works without the expectation that it's going to pay off right away. I always recommend waiting to advertise after you focused on search and other people's audiences. So the next part of your marketing system, once you've picked one of the attract strategies is engage. 
And this is where you're building your audience, right? This could be building your email list is what a lot of us are probably focused on. It could be getting more inquiries, like requests for a consult, requests to have an assessment, requests for that first session. The key thing here is that you're exchanging contact information so that you can continue to build a relationship. So pick a way that you're going to do that. Um, For a lot of yoga teachers, if you're just getting started, it's probably going to be request a conversation of some sort, whether you call it a discovery call or an initial session, something like that. If you're ready to start building more of an audience, it'll be getting on your email list somehow. So maybe you offer a free training, a free class, anything like that. That's an engaged strategy. Now that's where the potential clients are really like, this is like, they've come through your door of your business or virtual door of your business. And they're saying, Hey, I'm interested. Let me poke around. They're moving from the window. Yeah. They're moving from window shopper to actually like now they're browsing, right? Now they're looking around and that's where nurture comes in. Nurture marketing is building the relationship. It's building the know, like, and trust building you as the credible expert, right? So positioning you and your expertise And it's answering all the questions in advance about why they should work with you. So when we're thinking about nurture marketing, these are the pieces of content you're sending out to your newsletter. This is your social media. Most social media is nurture marketing. The only social media right now that I would not consider nurture marketing is TikTok. I think that falls under attract based on my current experiment. (laughs) Wow. I actually thought Instagram was part of attract. So that's interesting. You think Instagram is more nurture. I do think it's more nurture because what's happened is the same thing that's happened over other social platforms is early on, you could post on Instagram and get a lot of eyes on it really quickly. Now we're not seeing that. We're seeing only about 10% or less of your audience sees what you post. Mm -hmm. So it's really dropped down in order to get new people to it. Whereas on TikTok right now, like of the content I'm posting on TikTok, again, I recorded a whole podcast about this because I got excited and wanted to try it for six months. About 90 to 95% of the views I'm getting are from people who've never met me before. So it's great as an attract strategy, but I send them to Instagram to nurture because those are the people who hear from me the most. That's kind of how that has played out right now is Instagram is people who already know, like, and trust you. TikTok is people who are brand new to finding you. Great discovery tool. Not as much getting in front of existing people though. Why not send TikTok directly to your newsletter? I do both. Okay. (laughs) I do both, but it's interesting. I'm still testing it. So I would say I'm trying to see what is the better strategy. What I am finding is because if you have a TikTok account, it does allow you to connect your Instagram. People are doing that anyway. But that's when I think about nurture, I'm thinking about your core content on your social on your newsletter, if you have a blog or a podcast or a video show, anything that's going out to your existing audience, that is nurture content. And the goal there is to just show up, be helpful, be inspirational, be useful, be relevant, help them see the gap between where they are and where they want to be. So a lot of times I see people, um, one of the biggest mistakes with nurture content is they start giving away all the how-tos instead of talking about other things that would be a more useful for making sales. So if all you're giving away is how-tos, people generally aren't going to come by because mm-hmm. they already know how to do everything. So you don't yeah. want to always be giving the how-to. You want to talk about what is the big opportunity here? What is the big thing they should know? Why is this relevant right now? You want to talk to them about the mistakes people often make when they're trying to get whatever result they're trying to get to. You want to talk about the myths and what you as the expert know. 
This is especially true when it comes to like yoga, for example. One of my favorite clients is a private yoga teacher and she had an amazing client came from a referral and he said, I don't really want to do yoga, but I want to improve my golf game. And so think about all the content you can create to appeal to that demographic, older man who doesn't really want to do yoga, but wants to improve his golf game, create tons of content around like why yoga is a secret sauce to upping your golf game, (laughs) Mm -hmm. top myths about yoga, improving your golf swing, you know, the biggest mistakes golfers are making and how yoga can fix it. (laughs) That type of content suddenly is shifting mindset around like, oh, I don't want to do yoga. That's not for me to oh, this is like really amazing. This could actually be what gives me my edge and makes me better. So you have to start thinking a little bit differently about content. Mm -hmm. Once you've come up with what your core content in the nurture bucket is going to be, then we want to think about how are we inviting people to work with us? What does that process look like? And I think this is where women tend to be- struggle hard with making a sale. And it's because we've been conditioned that one, we don't want to bother anybody, right? Mm -hmm. If I email out to my audience, I have a spot available and I email more than once, they're going to unsubscribe. They're going to hate me. I'm going to get mean messages back. So then what they do is they like bury it in the bottom of their newsletter and like a tiny little PS that no one read because newsletters are hard to get through. So it's making sure you're really clear about how are you inviting people to something? What does that process look like? Are you sending out emails from the email? Where do they go next? Do they go to a sales page? Do they go to book a call with you? When they go to the sales page, what happens then? Like it's asking yourself, what is each step of the process and how are you making it crystal clear? Do not assume for them. Yeah. Don't assume people know how to work with you. Like they probably don't, honestly. And this is something I see a lot with yoga in particular, simply because I get to websites and it'll be like, buy this package or buy this package. And it's like, I don't have any context for which package is the right one for me. I don't know how this is going to work. And if you actually sit down and think through what does that whole invitation process look like and lay it out so it's crystal clear, if they're having to click multiple pages in order to understand how to buy something from you, you've lost them. You want Mm -hmm. them to click from the newsletter to a page and then click to buy, not have more than three steps there. Same Mm -hmm. coming from social or whatever you're sending them from. So think through that whole process and what does that process look like so that you can repeat it again and again and again. And don't be afraid about annoying people because if (laughs) they didn't want to hear from you, they wouldn't have subscribed. They wouldn't have followed. They want to hear from you. Yeah. Not everybody's going to buy But if you don't tell them how to buy, then no one's going to (laughs) buy. And the final part of this five-part process is delight. And I think this is honestly the most important part. Delight, you said? Delight. Yes. This is what happens once that person becomes a paying client. It is seven times easier to keep a client than to go out and find a new client. Mm -hmm. And a lot of yoga teachers do not need a huge client base in order to be very successful. They don't need thousands and thousands of clients. They need really good ones who stay with them for a long time. So we want to start thinking about customer lifetime value, not just them buying a one-time package for five or six private yoga lessons. We want those people to be thinking, I work with Erica and I see her every Tuesday at 7 a.m. And I've had that spot for five years. 
mm-hmm. five years, 50 weeks, that's 250 sessions. If you start thinking about customer lifetime value and how you can retain clients for a long time, then the game shifts. Then you really start to one, build a super profitable and sustainable business. But also you start thinking about like, what can I do to make this experience so good that she wants to come again and again and again, that she refuses to give up her spot with me because she knows how great this experience is. Those are how we start creating amazing client bases that we can truly build a sustainable business on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel the idea of sustainability is really like, we're really drilling that today because that's what will stop you from burnout. That's what will create the cash flow. That's what, you know, it like kind of touches all aspects of your business. Absolutely. If you build it to be sustainable, you build it to have buffer. (laughs) It's a lot easier than if you are trying to squeeze everything out of it because you don't have enough buffer. You don't have enough profit to go and do things. Like one of the worst things about businesses that have no profits in them is they can't do a great job delighting their clients. They can't send their clients a little birthday gift or, you know, do those little extra touches that make people feel extra taken care of. But if you build this into your mindset that when I have a profitable business, I can take even better care of my clients. I can take even better care of my team. I can have a team of people who I can pay incredibly well. I can go out and impact all these other people. That's when the game changes. And then we all can like really lift each other up. It makes me excited to think about if more women make more money, how many more other people we can touch, how many more other small businesses we can hire. Like it makes me so happy to pay out all of the invoices for my team every month. It makes me so happy to go out to dinner and leave a hundred percent tip. I love going to all the small boutique wellness spaces I go to and know that like my membership to them makes a difference. And that's what can happen when you're more profitable. You have more ability to spread the wealth and redistribute the wealth. Oh, that is so valuable and it's inspiring. And I'm sure people are going to have to maybe listen twice and take a little bit of notes and come back to it and really kind of make a plan for themselves. So I think that was very good. Before we wrap it up, is there anything else you want to add? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with today, what would that be? If there's one takeaway, I truly think everything starts with your definition of success. I really do. So if there's one thing you take away, sit down and answer those questions for yourself and get that clarity. Otherwise, you know, the time is going to pass regardless of if Mm -hmm. you define it for yourself or not. And the worst thing that can happen to any of us is that we wake up in a year, in five years, in 20 years and go, where did the time go? I wasted so much, Mm -hmm. you know? The time's going to pass regardless. So let's make sure what we're doing is aligned with what really matters to us. Yeah. I'll put all your info in the show notes. We'll link on the things we already talked about. But in the meantime, where is the best place for people to find you if they have more questions, if they want to work with you in some capacity, they want to get nurtured by you? <laughs> Come on over to the CEOcollective.com. We have several different resources, including the Get Paid Calculator that we talked about, podcast a lot of things available over there, but that's kind of the hub for everything. Beautiful. And you're on Instagram and TikTok. I am on Instagram and TikTok. (laughs) So Instagram for many years, TikTok for about four and a half months now, but I'm really having fun with it. So you are? 
I've been thinking about it. I've been looking at it. Like I've been watching what other people are doing. I've been considering it, but I need a little nudge. I think I'm like, "Uh, I don't know if I want to do it. It -hmm. took time for me to figure out how I wanted to do it because I refused to dance or lip sync. So you can do it without dancing or lip syncing. I figured it out. But I, I'm having fun with it. As somebody who loves marketing, I test and play with things all the time to see, you know, what else could work and what else is going on. But yeah, it's been fun over there. So if you want to see me not dancing or lip syncing on TikTok, come find me at Rachel Cook MBA. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general anywhere you listen. It truly helps people find a podcast and if it's been helpful for you, it will be helpful for someone else. Find the show notes if you're looking for them at ericabelanger.com slash 145. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for the support in making this possible and that includes you, all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next Monday.